Happy Palm Sunday. You know, on this Sunday, we celebrate this incredible moment where Jesus comes in to town uh, on a, a donkey as they throw palm branches, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, that Jesus is the Messiah that was long anticipated and long waited for, that he was the one who was the hope of their heart. He was the one that they had dreamed of. He was the one that would liberate and save them. He was the one. And they were so excited about that. And so they celebrated and lifted up their voices. Jesus was like, and and those who were religious were around and they said, hey man, this is not right. This is only praise that should go to God. And he was like, dude, if if you shut these people up, the very rocks will cry out to me. They were so thrilled that the Messiah had finally come because everyone is waiting for a Savior. Now, we look for saviors in different things, right? If you're single, what are you looking for, right? You're looking for a a savior from your singleness, right? Someone who will come and save you from being alone, right? We need a single savior, right? And And if you're in school and you just finished whatever through, like, your semester, and at the end of your semester, what did you need, right? You needed a savior for your tests, right? A test savior. And so you cried out, God, help me with this test. Help me to study well. We're all looking for a savior. If you're, if you're, if you're financially struggling, you're, everyone is looking. You're looking for a financial savior. If your marriage is on the brink of divorce, You're looking for a reconciliation savior. See, everybody's looking for a savior. Just depends on where do you go for saving. To whom do you go to to be saved? You see, that's all of us. It's why we sin. It's why we do things that we think, that we know we ought not do. The reason we do them is because we think that it will save us. Ever wondered why? Has anybody here, and I know this group doesn't really struggle with this, has anybody here ever struggled with, like, um, drug abuse or alcohol? Anybody? I know it's just like, okay, like two of you. Okay, so let me speak to two of you. Right. If you ever struggled, you know that there was a point where it stopped being fun. Right? Like, there was a point where it just, like, "This this is not fun anymore. This is, like, pretty degrading and awful. Right? And yet... During that moment, you kept on using. Why? Because you were still hoping that it would save you. The reason that we lie is because we think that the lie will save us from a pain or gain us a pleasure. That's That's the basic two reasons why people lie. They lie because they want to gain a pleasure or avoid a pain. But you look to the lie to save you. Everyone's looking for a savior. And so in this moment, on Palm Sunday, the people finally recognized the one who truly saves. And they were celebrating him. Now, 
We're not going to go into that text because every year we go into that text, and some of you know, have it memorized, and some of you who um, you know, are coming in from out of town because you, know, you think that that's the only sermon that we have uh, to preach is Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. That's the only sermons we have. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at why this was such a great moment for them. Why was this such a great moment, not only for them to scream out, to throw palms on the floor, to celebrate the Savior King who had come to save them, but we're also going to look at why it's such a wonderful thing for us, for the people sitting in your seat, why it's so valuable. We're all looking for a Savior, and uh, we dare not believe he's as good as he says he is, because we have ideas in our minds about God that are not compatible with reality. We have ideas about God that are simply untrue. Ideas and lies that we believe that are just, they just don't agree with reality. And, and the reason we have those ideas is because it's what we've been taught. It's we, we took it in with mother's milk. But there's a lot of stuff that we took in with mother's milk that wasn't right or true. Isn't that right? Like, there's a ton of stuff that I really believe that I know is not true, but I believe it. Let me give you a couple of them. I was taught, and I, was, I wasn't taught this. I just heard this, and for some reason I believed it. It's, I still believe it today. And I know it's not true, but I believe it. So, I heard my mother say that if your palm, if you scratch your palm, anybody knows what's next? That means... Okay, you have to be Puerto Rican for this one, right? And so if you scratch your palm, it means that money is coming. Did anybody who's not Puerto Rican, like, get told that or, or did that go around? Yeah, okay, right. Okay, so yeah, we got, all right, a bunch of, bunch of Puerto Ricans. Okay, right, you scratch your, your palms, that means you're going to get money. Okay, let's see what else I was taught that wasn't true. Okay, um, uh, now, now, by the way, that's a benign uh, uh, lie, right? Like, in other words, that doesn't matter, right? Like, if you believe that, you know, who cares, right? Like, you have a next couple of minutes, you have a little bit of hope, who cares, right? It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily affect anything in a great negative way. But there are certain things that we believe that do in fact, that do in fact affect us in a negative way. Things like a friend is a dollar in the pocket. Did anybody ever hear that growing up? A friend, is a, it was one of those things that was taught to me. Now, what that, that, that statement is a mouthful. That statement says that no one can be trusted, that nobody loves you for you, that the only reason that people will ever be an intimate ally of yours is for what they can get from you. So that really does structure the way you do relationships if you believe that. Right? If... If you really believe that, then that affects how you do every relationship. You see how that, that uh, belief system, it, it, though it's a lie, will really negatively affect you. Do you see how that can happen? Let me give you another one. Um, women can't be trusted. Guys, any of you grow up with that? It's a lie. And yet, it's something that we absorb, some of us as men. Women can't be trusted. Don't, women, maybe this is what you grew up with. Um, um, never depend on no man. Men are not dependable. 
No, just one or two? Yeah, no, just, yeah. Never. Nah, yeah, I, was, I know, I know. Watch this. What does, women can't be trusted and never depend on a man. What, is that, what do you think that does to your marriage? See, what that does, what that does is it sets up a guy to question and interrogate and, you know, never be fully intimate. Because, you know, I, I can't be real, real deep. I can't let you see the deepest parts of me because you can't be trusted. And I can't actually, and, and if I'm a woman, I can't lose myself. Listen, I can't throw myself into the relationship because that would mean depending on you somewhat, and I can't depend on you. You're one day going to break my heart. And, I, and, and, and I, I function in that. Do you see how some of the lies that we believe really affect how we relate with others? Let's go one step further. What do you think are some of the lies that we believe about God that affect our relationship with him? And I grew up believing that um, every time I did something, that God was sort of like a, like, um, like a mousetrap. You know what a mousetrap is? You know, so like you think of the traditional mousetraps with the contraption that, you know, goes back, the cheese gets put in the middle, and then slams on this mouse, and that's how you get the mouse, right? I, I, I had this idea that God was like a mousetrap, that he would put fun things out there that he was going to slam me for, right? So anything that had to do with fun, God was going to get me for. And so he was just waiting for me to take the bait and then slam me. That's a belief system about God. Now, is that true? But it's a belief system about God. Maybe you believe about God that I'm not going to pray to God. Maybe you've even, you, you've never been taught this, but this is what you think. I'm not going to pray to God about this. He has bigger things to deal with. Like there are starving children in Colombia. There are, you know, people uh, in war-torn areas in the Middle East. God listens to those prayers, but he's not going to listen to my prayer. You see, what we're going to do for the next few minutes is we're going we're to talk about an invitation that God gives that comes against some of the lies that you believe. And if we then believe God's word, what that will do is it will affect, beloved, It'll affect your relationship with your spouse, the way you do friendships. It'll affect how you perform at work. It'll affect how you think of yourself and how you relate with others. It'll affect how you go to school. I mean, this will affect every area in life because once you get in line with the truth, the truth has a tendency to set you free. But some of us have been living in a lie, and therefore we're in bondage. And if we're in a lie about God, oh man, believe me, that affects everything else. So we're going to look at a passage where uh, Jesus is speaking to us. We're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount in a very small portion. The Sermon on the Mount is um, a very famous portion of Scripture where Jesus is given instruction about kingdom living. But, all right, so you're in the kingdom, here's how you should live. This is not how you get into the kingdom, this is how you live once you're in the kingdom. Once you're, uh, once you're, once you're in deep fellowship, deep relationship with God, here's the kingdom ethic. 
Not how to get into relationship with God. We make a mistake if we put that first. But this is how to live once we're in the kingdom of God. Jesus comes up and he starts to talk about how we should approach God. Jesus, who is God, so he knows a thing or two about God, will tell us how to approach God. And he does this in Matthew chapter 7. Now, the reason that this is so important is because I promise you, life will overwhelm you. Has anybody here, within the last, say, year, have ever felt overwhelmed about anything? Could you raise your hand? Look around you. Look, raise your hand. Right. Yeah. We, there are moments where we are totally overwhelmed. And there are moments where we can't. God knows that about us. And he says, I'm going to be with you in the times of joy and in the times of overwhelmedness. I'm going to be with you, but I want you to believe this truth because if you don't believe it, you'll never come to me when you need me. Ready? This is going to be fun. One of the traditions we have in our church, and, and if you're new, by the way, the, the, guess who's been coming here for a while? Um, the people who are standing, right? Yeah. Um, so if you're new, um, we ask you to stand. Let me tell you why we ask you to stand at this portion, right? When we come to God's word, we recognize that this is a unique part of the service where God's words are going to be spoken. Now, we actually believe this. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to believe it. We're not demanding that. But we're saying that we stand in reverence to God's word. And he's like, awesome. And he's going to tell us something that not only is good for us, but it's, it's something super beautiful about him. So that's why we ask to stand. We're going to read the scripture together. And it's really, really powerful. It's found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. We're going to read it all together. Now, you have the, we, if you didn't bring your Bibles with you, we gave you, um, we gave you in your bulletin um, uh, the scripture, the text that you're going to be reading. We put it in your bulletin. We also put it with a big font if you're like me and over 40, okay? And so we're, we're, we're loving you in many different ways here. And so let's go ahead and read this in a nice, loud voice. One, two, three. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophet. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So Jesus is giving an understanding of the kingdom ethic, and towards the end of Jesus' sermon, he does, he does this really cool thing that's really interesting. He, he's already taught about prayer. He's like, I mean, he's, he's given a lot of information. And towards the end of his sermon, he says this, ask, 
seek, knock. That when you're dealing with God, ask, seek, knock. But he's saying, and you go, right, and so you go, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is teaching us that we should pray. No, 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 you don't understand. He's teaching not only that you should pray, but he's teaching you how you should, what your, what your heart should be like, what your approach should be like. And I don't know if you get it, but he says that your approach should be persistent. Your approach should be almost rude. Your approach should be aggressive. That when you're approaching God, that there is, that there is an understanding of your relationship with him that is so fundamental to how you draw near to him, how you pray to him, that it affects, that it affects the way you come to him. Now, this is wild. Because we're like, no, 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 no. I can't. See, Jesus is saying, come to me. With, you know how Jesus is saying, come to me? He's saying, come to me like my son comes to me. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have five children. I, I don't know if anybody has um, children, but I have five children. One is 25. One is four and then three girls between them, right? So two boys and three girls, right? Now, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. I love the way my four-year-old son comes to me. He comes to me, and my children come to me the way none of you had. It would, it would not be appropriate if you came to me the way my son comes to me. It wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't even be appropriate if my wife came to me the way my son comes to me. It's a wholly unique relationship, my children and me. Let me give you an idea. Friday is my day off. Friday is my day off. And so Friday, I sleep in late, which for me is around 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm just like sleeping in. I, I just I want the sun to come up. I don't want to move around too early. On my day off, I like to sleep in late. Watch. My son will, now, when my wife's around, I can hear her behind the door. We have an actual door. I didn't grow up with actual doors. Anybody here didn't grow up with doors on your bedrooms, right? Yeah, there's a bunch of us, right? Yeah, I'm blessed. I got a door now to my bedroom. So, no, that's a, like, that's a rich people issue right there. Like, wow. And so, and so my wife will go, shh. And my son will slam on the door, bust it open, and jump on me while I'm sleeping. Why? Because he knows that I'm his father. And he knows. I've told my son that if he wants to wake me up, he just has to give me a kiss. And so whenever I sometimes pretend to sleep, just so he could give me a kiss. Why? Why? That's the way I want my son to come to me. Now, let me tell you something. If you're not his kid, don't come to him like that. Be afraid. Check your watch. Make sure it's after 8. But if you're his kid, you can come to him boldly with confidence. The other day, let me give you another illustration. The other day, um, it was like uh, 8.30. Now, theoretically, his bedtime should be 7.30. I can't tell you the last time he's been in bed at 7.30. It's been a long time. We are bad parents. 
So it was like 8.35, right? And he came, he came, and I was, because I didn't prioritize my prayer time with God, I had missed it all day. And so at night, I, the way I do my prayers, I, I have a journal, and I write out my prayers. It helps me to stay focused, and, and it helps me to really t- talk to God from my heart. Well, I'm praying, and I'm writing out my prayer. Now, every other person in my house knows don't mess with Bobby while wow, he's praying. It's serious. But my son did not get the memo. <laughs> and so my son, and I'm on the bed, and I'm just writing out my prayers, and my son jumps up, and he sits right where my head is at, and he sits up, and he goes, and it, was, it wasn't exactly this, but it was like this. He goes, what has two legs and no arms? <laughs> has two legs and no arms. I don't know. He goes, guess! <laughs> he doesn't know that he's interrupting a very important moment. He doesn't know that my wife doesn't feel comfortable for good reason. Because he's my son. Now, the interesting, you know what has two legs, um, two, ar- uh, two legs and, but not arms, or two arms and not two legs? Yeah, he's four years old. Pickles. You know pickles don't have arms or legs. You do get this, right? It didn't matter. It was hysterical to him. He's like slapping his knee. He did this for 20 minutes. He kept on asking me riddles that don't make sense. Now here's what you need to know about my son. My son is adopted. I adopted him. He was born 13 weeks early. I adopted him, um, uh, 13 weeks premature. I adopted him. It's a really cool story. I'll tell it to you sometime. My son did not get the memo that he's anything other than my beloved son. There's a difference between all of my other four children and my son, David. My son, my other children, they were happy accidents. It's not like they were like, no, did you? I don't know how many people actually, there's a lot of people who do this, right? Did anybody here actually know, like, oh, yeah, we're going to have kids. We're going to do it now. Now is the stage of life. Who did that? There's got to be two or three of you who did that, right? There's one. Yeah, there's got to be, there's two. Right, yeah, John, right? Absolutely, John did it. John was like 72 when he had kids. And so, yeah, it's like, no, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, no, John, I love John. He's my boy. John is my boy. John, let me tell you something about John. John prayed and prayed and prayed and held fast, and God saved the best wine for last. John's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you look at John and you look at his wife, you know, oh, my God, he married up. <laughs> it was like, whoa. No, <laughs> that's bad. I love you, John. I'm sorry. Okay, back to the text. Back to the sermon. Okay, here we go. Come back to me. Okay. Sorry about that, John. All right. Because my kids were like happy accidents, but with David, with David, it was an intentional, I have to have him. It was a call from God to, to, to have him as my son. And we went through years of court proceedings and things like that. See, the problem, that, the reason that we don't go 
to God the way we ought to, it's because we behave like orphans and not adopted children. We're adopted. In the word of God, it speaks how God adopts us into his family. And when you're adopted into God's family, nothing is too silly. Nothing is too serious. Nothing. I don't know if I've ever told my son, you see, I told you, don't do that. Now, some good parents, you know, they want to connect the wisdom that they're giving them to the pain that they're feeling. I think that that's wise. It just hasn't been my story. Maybe in, later on in years, I'll tell David that. But when David hurts himself, all I'm concerned about is loving him, holding him. Come here. I'm always going, come here, come here, come here. What's wrong? Come here, come here. Why? Because he's my adopted beloved. He's not an orphan. He's not fatherless. He's not motherless. He's my son. Come to the text, look. Jesus goes like this. Ask, and it will be given you. That's insane. You know he doesn't qualify that? He goes, why aren't you asking? Do you know if you ask, it'll be given you? Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. This is crazy. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Oh, my gosh. There's a story. Uh, by the way, watch out what you ask and seek and knock about. There's a story told about, a, about an old man in China. And he found like a lamp and he rubs it. It's like a genie. And he comes and he says, I'll give you three wishes. And he goes, all right, I'm going to give you the first two wishes. Um, I, I'm going to tell what my first two wishes are. He goes, one, I want my son to come back from war. And two, I want we great wealth. I'll save my third wish for later. But those are two. My son, I want him to come back from war right away. And two, I want to get great riches. And so the very next day, um, his, uh, they're bringing his son, only he's in a casket. But he saved the king, and so he got great riches. And the father goes to the genie on the third wish, and he says, make it as if I never made a wish. See, we got to watch out what we ask for, because he's saying something true. Ask, seek, knock. God's arms are open. His desire is to love you well. His longing is to give you what you ask. Now, watch what you ask for. Secondly, let me say this. God only gives good gifts. God only gives good gifts. Therefore, if you're asking for something bad for yourself, God will not give it to you. Oh, my children are such illustrations of this. They ask me for stuff all the time. This morning, one of my kids goes, hey, Ba, can I read this book? It was like a horror book, right? I don't know if you've ever read horror books growing up. It messes you up. Some of you, some of you like, are afraid to walk into dark rooms, and you're adults. You're adults. It's not like you're kids. 
And you're like, no, we need the night light on so we could see where we're going. You've been living in that place for 36 years. You know exactly where everything is. But you leave the night on because you're just afraid. It's because of some of the stuff you've exposed yourself to in terms of movies, books, and things like that. So I'm like, nah, I'm going to spare you that. She's like, no, Father, you never give me what I want. How could you? Not quite that dramatic, but it felt like that. And so the reason I tell you that is because I'm only going to give my kid good gifts. I'm only going to give my kid good gifts. Let me, let me take it one step further. My son David, I'm teaching him the piano. He can play lean on me right now. If you ask him, he'll go, see... D, E, F, G, you know, like, you know, he'll do that whole thing, like, you know, the way it's uh, lean on me. Here's the funny thing about it. When I sit down next to him to practice for our little half hour, how long is a half hour? Not long. To a four-year-old, evidently, really long. He goes like this. He puts his, slams his head on my arm. He goes, oh, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> it's like, now it's 7.30. Now he wants to go to bed. Now he wants to go to bed. Why? Why? He thinks I'm torturing him. Now, he doesn't know, by the way, I read an article like decades ago, that when you study um, like formal piano, like actually reading notes and all that other stuff, it helps with your theoretical knowledge. So that helps with science, math, and interestingly, abstract notions like God. Like God is, an, you know, it's, it's difficult to understand some levels of science, math, and God. Now, my son doesn't know that him playing the piano will help him learn science, math, and about God. But I do, because I'm only giving him good gifts. Do you think that there can be a pain and a suffering that you're going through right now that God is giving you a good gift about? Yes. You don't sound convinced. Yes. Yeah, sure. That there are difficulties right now that you are going through that God is giving to you right now as a direct result of your prayers. God, give me patience. And then mother-in-law comes to stay for four months. Right? Like, God, God, help me to tell the truth. And then I'm put in situations and circumstances where I'm forced to be embarrassed. Uh, God, make me more generous. And then we talk here about a beautiful um, uh, a beautiful endeavor to, to bless people in a third world country. And he goes, go, come on, give your best, you know, be as generous as you can. You see, God only gives good gifts. And he says as much in the very next illustration. To illustrate that God, ans- um, that when you ask, you f- uh, that when you um, ask, receive, that when you seek, you find, that when you knock, the door is opened. Jesus gives us an illustration. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So now, why don't we do this? We don't do this because we don't believe God. And it affects all of our other relationships. But if we believe this text You know what would happen? It would change everything. If we believe this, it would change our marriage. When we're talking to our spouse, we could actually be open and vulnerable. Why? Because we're already accepted in the Father. He loves us. Our identity is with God, not with our spouse. 
Our identity is with God, not with our work environment. All right, do you see? Do you see how this changes everything? That if we would just go to God in prayer, knowing that he's our father and that he loves us and that there's nothing too small and nothing too great, this would change everything about us. So when our, our wives says, why did you do that? We don't have to defend ourselves. Have you ever tried to do that? Defend yourself in marriage? Get defensive? We don't have to get defensive. We can go, you know, I think the reason that I did that is because I'm pretty selfish. And I'm pretty self-centered. I really didn't care too much about your thoughts. That's the truth. And I'm not saying that in an unthinking way. I'm saying that in a broken-hearted way. I think that's the truth about me. Can we talk about that so that we could weep over my own sin? If you're struggling with a sin, you no longer have to submit to that sin because that's not where you're going to find completeness, wholeness, and happiness. It's not going to be at the, at the bottom of a bottle. It's not going to be at the edge of a needle. It's not, going to be at, it's not going to be at any one of these things. It's going to be found in your deep, you're already accepted in God. Why are you trying to prove yourself to that girl? Why are you trying to prove yourself to that guy? Why are you trying to prove yourself God has already accepted you as the beloved. He's, in fact, for those of us who know Christ, he's adopted you into his family. You're adopted. Stop acting like an orphan. You're not an orphan anymore. You're adopted into his family. It changes everything. Now, if you've taken this seriously, that God can be approached, that you can pursue God in conclusion, let me give you two things you can do. Can I recommend to you that you create a space and a time, a space and a time for your prayer with God? Just create a space. If you don't have a space and time, you're just going to be like everybody else who goes, yeah, 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 I pray. No, you don't. No, you don't. You go, yeah, 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 I pray. When I walk to the bus when I'm on the train, when I'm going up an elevator. In other words, it, it, we say that we practice intimacy with God while we're doing something else. That's insane. Like, that's your intimate time with God? Try that with your spouse. Yeah, no, 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 I'm going to practice intimacy with my, uh, with my wife while I'm on Twitter. That's not intimacy. That, that, that's a, so you need a space and a time. Would you create that? And then secondly, we have an opportunity to fulfill this scripture this Thursday. This Thursday, the church is going to get together. We're going to get together to pray. And not only are we going to get together, but we're going to get together with another church. And then we're all going to get together. And I'm telling you, if it's not like the best hour of your week, man, come to me. Come to me, and I'll, I'll make it right, man. Like, I'll buy you breakfast or something like that. It's going to be the best hour of your week. It's unbelievable. The times that we spend praying corporately together, especially when we do this with other congregations, is some of the most beautiful, intimate, wonderful times. And you can just run to God as a adopted child, not as an orphan, but as an adopted child. And finally, let me just say this. 
if you don't have that relationship with God. Maybe you are an orphan. Maybe you decided that you're the boss of your life. That God is like, you know what God is? God is really cool to add on to your life, but God is not the center of your life. God is like something on the fringes. If that's your story, you know, you can make God the center of your life, and here's how to do it. Just go up to him and admit to him how much you need him, how broken you are, how sinful you are. It's, it's really as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. Won't you admit that you're a sinner? I know that's such an archaic word, and it's, but it doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room, right? It's like, yep, I'm messed up. Here's what we say in this church, and we say it all the time. You are worse than you think. You are, that's what the Bible teaches. You are worse than you think. And you might be sitting here right now going, you see, this is why I don't come to church. You just come here to make us feel guilty. I was waiting. You were funny at one point, but now I was waiting for the boom to drop. And now you're just making me feel guilty, which I get. I totally get. Because you haven't heard the whole story. The Bible teaches that you are worse than you think. But here, beloved, it goes on to teach that you are more loved by Christ than you can imagine. You're worse than you think. You're a worse husband. You're a worse parent. You're a worse wife. You're a worse follower of Christ. You're a worse, if you're like me, pastor. You're a worse leader. You're worse than you think. But you're more loved by Jesus than you can imagine. No need to put on perfume. No need to get dressed up. No need to get the makeup on. Jesus sees you with your morning face, and he says, that's my girl. That's my boy. You've been trying to live to try to impress other people with your looks, and I'm telling you, you've missed it. You're his girl. You're his boy. Won't you come? Won't you come? Like, what, what part of that is offensive to you? Oh, but I don't like what the Bible says about that. Listen, listen, listen. To say that we would agree with God about everything is to, is to be silly. Let me tell you why. I don't even agree with my wife about everything. And I've been with her for like 27 years. Oh, you don't agree with God about everything? Good. That means he's God. And you're not. And he knows things. Just like my kids don't disagree with me about everything. I'm guessing at this stage in life, I may know better, on them, better for them on most things. Beloved, run to him. At A, B, C, admit that you're a sinner. And because you're worse than you think and you could be loved more than you can imagine, it's safe to do that. It's safe to admit how screwed up you are. B, believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And C, commit your body to him. Wherever he says go, go. Whatever he says think, think. Whatever he says pursue, pursue. Just commit your body to me. It's A, B, C. Admit, believe, commit. Now, is that something? You could have that. My hope is that you do. My hope is that you run to him. So in about 30 seconds, if you want to receive Christ, um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand to receive Christ for the first time. If you want to receive Christ for the first time, if you want to go, yep, I admit it, that Tuesday night, that thing that I feel so ashamed of that happened on a Tuesday night or a Saturday morning that I feel so guilt and such shame about that I don't want to tell anybody here I'm going to take to the grave. Yeah, that's what he forgives. I'm going to just confess that. And then I'm going to believe that Jesus 
can wash away even my deepest disgrace, even my deepest shame. And then I'm just going to say, God, my body's yours. My body's yours. Whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, you took your body. He'll do, he'll do that in you. 